It's Lauren Kinghorn, Fempreneurs Unite, and I'm here with the beautiful Georgia Vargas. Before we start with any of the background of Georgia, she is now a book writing coach, which is very exciting. But Georgia, you've also had an amazing past. Talk to me about all the other things that you've done leading up to becoming a book writing coach. So I think I've always been writing ever since I was allowed to hold a pencil in my hand. <laughs> And I loved dialogue. I loved hearing people talk to each other. So it got me into playwriting. And I did lots of playwriting. I produced plays, put them on. I actually made my money back, which was sensational. And then I wrote prose and poetry. I went on to perform it as a spoken word artist. I did MC work. I did scripts for other people, for myself. I loved, I loved the stage because I was um, a musician for many years, saxophone player for many years, professional, wow. touring and recording. And the showbiz world was my world, you know, and anything that I could do on stage in a creative way, I loved it. So I've always been involved with writing and music and being creative and doing it publicly <laughs> and getting paid for it too. <laughs> That is amazing. Absolutely wonderful. And I want to talk about being a professional saxophone player because that really interests me. I have a friend who's also a professional saxophone player and absolutely amazing at her craft. And I used to love going and listening to her. So that's why I want to pick up on that. And you even look quite similar. <laughs> yeah. So talk to me about how that's woven into your life. How has that played out in your books? And is it part of your everyday life now in any way? Well, I think my experiences in show business, particularly in the music business, gave me these three very powerful words, which I write about and speak about, and they're in my books, which is confidence, courage, and creativity. I call them the three big C's. Being in the music business, you had to be confident. You were going to go up on stage, you were going to play from your heart, sometimes from memory, but mostly improvised. So you had to have confidence, you had to have courage, and you had to be creative with it. And so they were very big lessons in life, not just doing my art, my music, but also communicating with people in show business, in the music business, because it was tough as a woman. So yeah, it was very much part of my life to develop these wonderful three big C's as my skills. Absolutely wonderful. And so how did you segue into becoming an author? When did you first become an author? Well, as I said, I've always been writing. So plays was my main introduction. And then I did a poetry book. There's mm -hmm. one here called Words on the Wild Side, which was a combination mm -hmm. of um, stories and poems and rebellious stuff and get up and let's go, that kind of thing. And uh, it got me into performing it because I, I really enjoyed the stage and, and script writing. Mm -hmm. And I think that it was, especially my life here, living by the sea and having, being out of the city, I had more time. So writing a book was a very, very natural process for me. Yeah, to those in the audience who don't know, Georgia does not live in England. She lives in Spain. So it's really warm there, I believe, at the moment. <laughs> so what does a day in the life of Georgia look like? Well, I get up and I um, post my uh, 
content, my social media content quickly because I've prepared it the night before. It's very much ping, ping, ping onto LinkedIn mostly. And then I go for a swim. I have a beautiful beach very close by and it is magic in the morning because the sea mm. is still, it's the Mediterranean, so it's pretty calm. It's still, it's quiet. The sun is just up. I'm not an early, early bird. <laughs> And it's magic, it's cooling and refreshing, and it helps to set my mind for the day because my day is very much filled with book plan calls. People call me to plan out their book in this kind of method. <laughs> and then there will be coaching calls and there'll be some preparation for the webinars that I do and posts, media posts, sometimes conversations like this from people all over the world, meeting and greeting, which I absolutely love. Yeah. And, um, with the heat, we often have a little siesta. You know, we have different hours here. Love so that. Get, do some more work in the evening. Mm-hmm. And do you like cooking or do you go out to eat? Because I, I see that as the Spanish lifestyle, <laughs> going out yes. to eat. <laughs> yes, there is a lot of, uh, you know, living outdoors. It is the outdoor life I enjoy very much. Mm-hmm. Most definitely, yeah. So oh, wonderful. You, have to take, you take advantage of these beautiful warm evenings. And are there lots of lovely restaurants on the beach? Yeah, there's, there's plenty. There's, there's a lot of choice and a lot of variety. Oh, and, um, amazing. Yeah, it's great to do that. It sounds idyllic, I have to say. It sounds absolutely amazing. It sounds as good as living in Cape Town, where I live. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I know, yeah, you, you weren't always in Spain. I believe you're Hungarian, born in Budapest, then grew up in London. So what made you move to Spain? Oh, it's a romantic story. It was a love affair. So I met my partner in London and he was working days and I was working nights. And we knew that it just wasn't going to work like that. And we made a decision that we both wanted to live by the sea. It'd been, it'd been our dream. And so we explored Portugal and then we came to Spain and we thought, well, with all the connections and it's only a two hour flight, it would be much easier to come to Spain. And I, I like languages. So I was already playing around with the language having worked in the music business, you know. <laughs> and we just packed up the, his van and we drove down and we started a new life and it was full of risk and adventure and it was wonderful. Amazing. And did you settle in the town that you're in right now or did you move around a little bit? So that was it. You just, you moved, you knew the town and you just went there. Absolutely loved it. (laughs) And we we said, we're going to make this work. And well, yeah, there was plenty of ups and downs, new relationships, the usual thing, the give and take. But we realized it was a much better life for us to be out of the city as well. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, what an awesome story. I love story and Oh, I love it. And are you both British? No, no. I mean, we have British passports, but, you know, yeah. he's also Hungarian. So oh, he's now Hungarian. We, yeah, so now we have three languages going around and we get into such a mess. <laughs> Hilarious. Lots of misunderstandings. Yes. Are most of your friends Spanish living there or do, is there oh, a, mixed, a big, is a nice mixed? international crowd? Oh, fantastic. That's wonderful. And is it also kind of a holiday town where you get the holiday makers all coming over and all your friends from England coming over as well? No, you'd be surprised. It's mostly oh. people from Madrid, the, okay. the big city people that come down. They have their second homes along this coast. Uh-huh. So we get a lot of Madrileños and okay. you know, people from Madrid. And people also from other big towns 
that have their yeah. second family home here. Okay, okay, wonderful. I'm just getting a picture of this whole Spanish lifestyle. It sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get back into your work because that's what's so fascinating as well. So writing and producing plays, professional saxophone player, spoken word artist, and then author of four books of which two are bestsellers. So I know that it's Step Up and Stand Out and How to Step Up and Stand Out. Those are your two bestsellers. So talking about how to step up and stand out, would you like to give us three tips uh, that you would give a young fempreneur, woman entrepreneur who's just starting out how to step up and really shine? Okay, well, I think um, one of the most important things is to recognize that we have two fabulous communication tools available, our voice and our pen and they are you know ever since I was able to hold one I've been writing and speaking and I think I encourage young women to develop that confidence the courage and the creativity to use their voice and their pen to spread their message their point of view their expertise their experience their wisdom their knowledge use these powerful tools and learn to redefine confidence for yourself because for women it is quite different especially courage you know courage is not about spider-man and fireman it's about how we as women define our own type of bravery it's not about saving lives mm -hmm. it's a very special thing and I think women need to really redefine that creativity yes we are very creative but we can also think creatively and that is a, a powerful message for young women I think the second tip I would offer is about decision-making. We're not really taught or encouraged to make big decisions in our life. We make little ones like what we should wear and what we should drink and which road and bus to take. But the big decisions in life, we often hesitate and turn to other people for expert advice. When we know if we tuned into ourselves and learned to make good decisions for ourselves, had more self-confidence, courage and creativity, we would make better decisions and stronger decisions and recognize that we have the ability to do that. And the third thing, well, they're all interrelated, Lauren, but the third thing is very much about self-belief and self-love and you know, bigging yourself up. Some cultures really frown upon boasting and showing off when you're talking about yourself, but self-love and self-belief is crucial I mean, nature does it all the time. She shows her most beautiful colors. And why shouldn't we? And, you know, when you're selling something, you're going to sell something in its most beautiful and perfect condition. So why shouldn't we be showing and, and sharing our talents and skills in the most positive way? So confidence, courage, creativity, decision-making, really get sharpen up your decision-making skills and love yourself every day. Oh, I love that. That is absolutely beautiful. And as a book writing coach, you've been doing this for how long? Is it two years? That yes, a couple of years now. Yes. Mm -hmm. Since your bestsellers took off like that, it's a most wonderful occupation to have, coaching other people to do the same. And you mentioned that your proudest achievement since you became a book writing coach is seeing the first person you coached her book on your shelf. 
eight months after you worked with her. So tell me about her. How did that all come about? Well, it was, it was very exciting because she was so keen to write. Mm-hmm. And when your client is eager and keen and full of energy and ready to go, 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 then you're on a win-win situation. But we had a lot of struggle in the beginning because the idea for her book wasn't clear. And so we had to work quite a lot in bringing in other elements and diving deeper and digging deeper to see what else could to make the book very complete. But once we did that, she just wanted to write and writing she did. And it was interesting because she first of all wrote in English. The book now is in French. She's from Quebec. So she had those choice of languages, but she decided to publish in French. But she wrote in English. And then the second obstacle that we had was that she wanted a traditional publisher to publish her book. Well, Canada is not my experience, so I didn't want to suggest publishers to her. But I did want to encourage her to use an independent hybrid or self-publishing company. And at first, she wasn't very keen on that idea. She wanted to go down the traditional road. So I said, well, we need to explore this because it's going to be very tough. And she said, well, I'm going to put together a proposal. And she put together a most glorious professional book proposal. I've never seen anything like it. And it was full of photographs because she's a photographer as well. So it was filled with beautiful photographs and the, the text was amazing. But then she got no, 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 no. The big companies only take on celebrities, well-known people, or if you're infamous for something. So she was quite disappointed. And I said, well, we're going to explore other avenues. So we talked about crowdfunding. We talked about sponsorship. And then I asked her, well, what did you do with your photographs? Were they exhibited somewhere? And she said, well, it was actually a museum locally. So we got down to brainstorming this idea. And I said, you you just got to go there and tell them about your book tell them that you want to write a book and ask, ask, ask. You've got to explore that. You've got to big up your confidence and go down there and be courageous and ask them and think creatively outside of the box. And she did that. And because they knew her, they accepted that appointment and they published her book and they did an exhibition. So they published her book, they did another exhibition all through brainstorming and asking and building on her confidence, her courage, and feeling creative about it all. So that's how she got it done. That comes about from, you know, brainstorming with somebody who knows what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> You've been down this road a few times. I've been down that road. <laughs> yeah. Are you at the point now where you can approach publishers or are you still an indie author? Do you publish your own books? Well, because the big companies now are, big conglomerates there's only five of them and they've all joined up together but there is a mass a plethora of independent and hybrid and self-publishing companies many of them run by women because they were in PR or they were journalists or they were editors for big companies they lost their jobs and they just teamed up or working individually I spoke to a fantastic woman yesterday who does publishing and very reasonable and very professional and teaches you how to do it yourself if that's the road you want to go down so creative lots of creativity Mm -hmm. lots of courage to start Mm -hmm. a business of your own and the Mm -hmm. confidence to do it so my big three c's are very popular (laughs) (laughs) 
it's it's going to an independent self-publishing company different to Amazon Kindle publishing. It's an option. So Amazon will provide you with a service to self-publish, but it has its limits. It has the Kindle offer. But if you want to have more say over the matter, more control, then there are other options. Absolutely. So if you do an Amazon Kindle options, can you actually get published books or is it all online books? No, you can get print on demand. So it's but print on also, demand. You, yeah. yeah, but you can also work through independent publishers and hybrid publishers who will offer you better deals, better uh-huh. royalties, more okay. control over your work, more control over the distribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a big topic now. Yeah, yeah. There are lots of different options, Lauren. And also it's about marketing. It's about marketing. And that's not the side you work on at all. You don't work on the actual publishing side. You're helping them write their book, put their book together in a way that it's going to to sell. Right. Exactly. So my my job is to get you to write the book, to Mm -hmm. be with you with a hold on that journey, but mm-hmm. also to keep your eye on marketing because whoever mm. you choose, whether it's self-publishing, whether it's Amazon, whether it's independent, or you're, mm-hmm. you've got a connection with a big publisher, you have mm-hmm. to do all your own marketing. Right. So while you're writing, mm-hmm. you're talking about the marketing. So if, mm-hmm. for example, in a situation like this, you ask me a question and I would say, well, in my book, The Rule Breaker's Guide to Step Up and Stand Out, which I have behind me, I talk about this. So you're always marketing your book every time you speak to anybody online. Mm -hmm. That's part of what I teach. Yes. Okay. So the marketing does come into it, but the actual publishing, you go to someone else and you figure out how to do that. Right. And then do you help them with the editing as well? I have professional people who would do that. I think you need to choose your editors very carefully and you need yeah. to remember that you are employing them to do a job for you. I'll give you a very good example. I had a, a, a proofreader editor because you need proofreaders and editors. You don't do it yourself. You might yeah. read through your manuscript to mm-hmm. check, but you don't do that job yourself. You always mm-hmm. outsource, always. And um, I had a proofreader and she added, it was my, my mistake, I take responsibility. She added 1,200 Oxford commas And I was horrified. (laughs) I know. I made that face too. And I said, why did you do that? I hate them. Don't take them all out. And so I have spent hours taking them all out. So now I say, by the way, editor person, (laughs) don't put any Oxford commas in my work. (laughs) (laughs) But you need to remember that you are employing an editor and you need to say Mm -hmm. to them, this is a colloquial phrase that I use and I want that in and Mm -hmm. I don't like this type of punctuation I prefer this type Mm -hmm. I like quotes or double or whatever it is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you've got to be quite specific when you hand over the work to the editor I can imagine make decisions you've got to make decisions and you've got exactly the courage to say it yes and it's got to be your book at the end of the day it's still got to feel like your book and not like it was completely rewritten Well, you know what they say, Lauren, that punctuation, in the spoken word, we have pauses. Mm. In the written word, mm-hmm. we have punctuation. Yes. So I don't want to tell you where to breathe when you're reading my book. You mm-hmm. can breathe wherever you like, mm-hmm. but I still need to have a comma here and there. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> okay, I got it. Yes, let's get back to the spoken word artist thing. How did you get into it and how did it go for you? Did you enjoy it? Well, I had lots of fun because I was still doing music. Uh -huh. And when I first did the spoken word thing, I had a bass player work with me. So he would play a rhythm and then I would do a few lines and he would play a rhythm and I would do a few lines. And it was very artistic, you know, and yeah. it was great fun. But it wasn't really a money-making effort and my bass player got a bit fed up with that, you know. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a bit tiresome. But I, I just went around loads of different clubs and tried out my material. And then I met people who were working in teams. And that's how I got into entering slam competitions in the USA on the East Coast. They had these massive slam competitions where people from Austin and Texas and people from Connecticut would all meet in one of the big towns and there would be a big slam competition. And they had rules, you know, you had to be up on stage for th and do your piece for three minutes. You couldn't do more than three. The clock would run, bang and you would be disqualified if you went over. And the people in the audience had these cards. They were random audience members, public members, who would hold up a card, 9.8, 8.6, 7.9, you know, a score. And I got very poor scores and I got fours and fives and terrible, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> but, you know, the thing was that afterwards, and they would come around to the back of the stage and they would say to me, have you got a pamphlet? Have you got a book? I'd love to read your work. Because they were a bit embarrassed, I think, by my forwardness and my rebellious nature. <laughs> okay, wow. And what were you rebelling against, Georgia? Oh, well, you know, injustices and things <laughs> I didn't like and, you know, why can't I and that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> why is it good for you but not good for me? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, great. I love it. <laughs> so real fempreneur stuff, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Awesome. And the glass ceiling. You mentioned that you hit the glass ceiling. What was that for you? And how did that play out in your life? Well, I think it's still there. There are cracks, mm -hmm. but it was very noticeable in the music business. And one of the little stories, I think, which will illustrate it really well is that I used to go out with a, a, a female horn section, a woman on trumpet, woman on trombone, and I was the saxophone player. Very often we would be rejected because we were not aggressive enough or too aggressive or not sexy or too sexy. And it just was mind-blowing. You couldn't understand it. It was confusing. Mm -hmm. And one time we got a really good gig offered to us to play on a television show for a pop star. And so we went around to do the rehearsal. And the first thing he told us was we had to wear something like this, which was basically a piece of lingerie and high heel shoes. And we went, oh, what? The, the high heel shoes will put our balance out. We can't breathe properly. You know, wearing a little tiny little thing is, you know. Uncomfortable. Oh, uncomfortable and awkward and it might even come off, you know. <laughs> yes, you've got the saxophone, it covers the most. <laughs> yes, see? So we said, no, ridiculous. What do you mean? Don't we look good enough? Anyway, he refused to work with us and we refused to work with him. And he was very insulting and said, you're too fat, you're too old, and you're too ugly. And don't right. ask me which one he said I was. <laughs> and so we left, we walked out, but we were very curious to know who he would hire for the job 
-hmm. because it was going to be televised a couple of weeks later. So the three of us got round to my house one evening to watch the show. We were sitting there like this. Who did he replace us with, you know? And because very often what they do is they bring in female models who can't play the instrument, but just hold it and and pretend they mime it. Yeah. Mm. How many times have you seen a a woman on a saxophone? Um, She's wearing a tiny bikini. Anyway, love actually, love actually comes to mind. (laughs) Yeah, they (laughs) were. So we watched the show and who were the people who replaced us? But three men with beards and big pot bellies and not one of them was wearing lingerie. Thank the Lord for that. (laughs) So it was like, uh Okay. Yeah, crazy. So that's what happened in the music industry. I get it. There was a lot of sabotage and there was a lot of refusals and Mm. oh, a girl saxophone player. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, very disheartening, very disappointing. And if you don't learn to stick your elbows out and be confident, courageous, and a little bit creative about things, then you're just not going to get the job. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's less of that as an author and as a coach. You're not really having that. You get to choose who you work with. I'm sure it's not the same. (laughs) Wonderful. And... I know that you have a Women's Writers Circle coming up in September, is it? Tell me about that. That sounds wonderful. I, I know you work with private clients, right, doing the coaching, but your Women's Writers Circle works a little differently. Tell me how it works. Well, it started last October after a big speaking gig that I did mm-hmm. online, of course. And I had several women come to me and they said, we you know, really like to work with you. And I said, well, how about working in a group? How about creating a circle of women writers? And as it turned out, we were in five different time zones. <laughs> it was crazy. Wow. Um, but we got it together. And what time did you do it? <laughs> that is so hard. I know it is, it's tough, but it, it somehow worked. You know, it was early morning over there and late in the mm. evening over there. You know, yeah. you know how it goes, Lauren. Yes. And, um, <laughs> but the the best thing about it was how we were able to give each other so much accountability and mm-hmm. the support and the mm-hmm. brainstorming. And this is the funny thing with women, as you, I'm, I'm sure you know, and your listeners will know, Marlon, that we're very good at giving advice to another person when they say, well, I've got a difficulty or my problem or my hurdle, my obstacle, my mindset monster is this. And so the women were like, oh, oh. I've got an answer for that. I've got a solution for that. And they would give the very solution mm. that they would need themselves. Amazing. Oh, that is wonderful. You know, we're, we're so good at giving advice to others, but we don't take our own advice. That mm. was the point. And yeah. so that really made it very exciting for the women to, once they realized how good they were at giving the advice, but they also needed to give it to themselves. So the support, the collaborations, mm-hmm. the friendships, because some of them still now talk to each other about their oh. books and have formed really great partnerships too. So the writing circle is about that coming together, the female mind, how it works, mm-hmm. brainstorming with each other and the accountability. That's very important. 
because some people like deadlines, some people don't. But when you've got accountability, it spurs you on. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea is, you know, I don't write, you're going to write. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you and give you all my professional experience and mm -hmm. my advice on the many genres and my life experiences. Mm -hmm. You're going to write that book and we're going yeah. to encourage you and spur you on and cheerlead you to the last full stop. <laughs> Wonderful. So are you saying by the end of the eight weeks, they actually have the book written or does it take longer than usually? Well, if you work with me, I make sure that you really work and do okay. the work. Because you, you can put this into any search engine you like, but if you ask, how long does it take to write a thousand words? The mm -hmm. answer will come up at 25 minutes. Wow. wow. Yeah. So just imagine, Lauren, 30 mm -hmm. minutes a day, mm -hmm. you're writing. You do that for five days a week. Mm -hmm. And your weekend's off. <laughs> five days. You will have, you can do the maths. You will have yeah. a 40,000 word book in eight weeks. And wow. just imagine if you did a weekend, maybe you did an hour, maybe one day you only do 20 minutes and another day you do an hour and mm -hmm. a half. Mm. But of course, it's about getting that first thing very clear on what your title is going to be, what you're going to deliver in that book. Are they mostly writing um, self-helpy type of books or are they writing novels or, or is it a real total mix of everybody's it's, writing what they want to? It's generally, <laughs> generally speaking, the business book, self-help book, the mm -hmm. my experiences, my expertise type mm -hmm. of book. Okay. There was there was one woman, highly qualified academic woman, who mm -hmm. wanted to turn her dissertation into a novel. Oh wow! How interesting! Wow! Yeah. that's amazing. She, she had the biggest problem of all. Wow! And what was her dissertation about? <laughs> well, she was an African woman, and it was about how to encourage girls to succeed for okay. education. But it was okay. very difficult for her to put it into a kind of colloquial, accessible language. Mm, and so academically qualified you know so that wow. was hard and what was great yes. was that the other women in the group were saying I don't really understand what you're saying can you put it simpler so oh. I didn't have to say it <laughs> oh that's fantastic yes because yeah. that's exactly how it is with websites as well you have to write I think they say you must write as if you're talking to a third grader so that's anyone true. can understand you because otherwise it's just it's lost you know yeah. yeah so it's quite hard actually to turn academic writing into something that's readable <laughs> and you enjoyable you said it Lauren. So yeah. I, I think she's still writing the book because it, it is difficult for her but generally yeah. speaking you know once we've got that book plan idea and I'm making it look like a dough because it is a bit like that getting all your yeah. ingredients together Lauren then <laughs> then you just gotta write you, you just go write. Yeah, yeah, you're just and right. There are some very simple ways to break it down mm -hmm. and make it accessible and mm -hmm. using a very simple strategy that I have, simple steps, because I like mm -hmm. things to, you know, here it is, go for it. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait till one day that I can afford your course. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get my book out very soon. <laughs> Let's say about a year. You're the one next year. Oh, I, I look forward it. to that. <laughs> well, you can always you can always book in. Uh, you can arrange a call with me, or we can put that idea together. We we'll just talk yeah. about the idea. And oh, that's exciting! Start molding it, and, and you see, oh, once you do that, Lauren, yes. then you it 
the book, your book idea goes from the bottom of your to-do list to mm. the top because now yes. you've got an incentive, you're excited about it because it, it makes sense. You want to write about walking your dog on the beach and what amazing <laughs> pleasure it gives you or whatever it is, your experiences in the corporate world as a woman, what it's like to be at the top, what it's like to be, at, how you climb from being the janitor to the CEO. Yeah. You know, your experience, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And once you've got that nicely formed and you've even got a working title, then you're like, Mm -hmm. woo, a rocket. (laughs) It all just happens. Oh, I I can imagine how exciting it must be. Oh, and then the first book comes and the second book comes. I can just see how one can easily become a serial author, (laughs) (laughs) especially if you have some success in that first book that goes on yeah so it's eight weeks and it's probably going to be evenings I think you mentioned yes um, you know depends if you're in Australia we'll Mm. work things out (laughs) but generally speaking it tends to be similar time zones or one or two hour difference so working evening is seems to be the best thing the sessions are an hour long Uh and there would be eight group sessions and then Mm -hmm. as a bonus I've got a special one-to-one session with me and me only (laughs) and so that's the kind that's the kind of bonus that I'm offering absolutely wonderful and the the price is 8.99 pounds pounds sterling is that right yes Yes. wonderful we're going to put all those details and where to join and I know you take a maximum of six people right yes including you you and five others is that right yeah so, so it's so, not a crowd. No, because I want people to be able to talk about their journey, where they are, what they're going through, the good, the bad, the ugly, and for everybody to be able to share and give their opinion too, because speaking up and giving your point of view, giving feedback is part of that whole writing process because it develops confidence, courage, and creativity. <laughs> there we go. Absolutely wonderful. I love your message. So your message is obviously... Step up and stand out with confidence, courage, and creativity. I love that. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Georgia, and especially because I made the mistake of not recording (laughs) for the first half an hour, 45 minutes. (laughs) It's going to be a good story one day. It's going to be a wonderful story. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was lovely to spend time with you. And I look forward to hearing how your next course goes. Excellent. Thank you so much, Lauren. Okay, keep well. Bye.